Hi, everyone. I think we're right, well, we're a couple minutes early, but I think we'll go ahead and start. Thank you for coming. I had no idea if people would come or not, and it just means a lot that you would show up for this, so thank you. Um, I'm going to pray um, before we begin. Daniel, can you just keep, is that door propped? Yes. Can people get in? Okay, great. Okay. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for the ways that we get to worship you together this weekend. Um, I pray that you would help us today to learn about what it means to love people well through our art. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, so as I mentioned uh, this morning, I um, wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what it means to be a successful artist and how to not make cliche art and what it means to make good art. And, um, you know, I think that there's probably a lot of answers to those questions, a lot of good answers. And certainly if you talk to someone like a Norm Daniels, I think that he would have some really deep answers. And these are just things that I've kind of um, come to realize along the way. But I think that there's like this sort of vast ocean um, that answers these questions, and this is just one little snippet of it. But I wanted to give a little background as to who I am as an artist and how I got to that place, because I think that that will help us all to um, kind of know how I came to grapple with some of these things. So um, by trade, I'm an illustrator, and this is something that's kind of new for me. Um, I just illustrated my first children's book, and I'm working on my second one, and it's like, the, thank you. <laughs> um, it was just like the most ridiculous gift that God placed in my lap, and I, even now as I'm drawing, I just think, Lord, I can't believe I get to do this and get paid for it. It's just such a gift. Um, but before I came to Hume 19 years ago, I did not consider myself an artist. It's not what I called myself. It wasn't even on my radar, um, but I liked to doodle. And so I would make these little cards for people and it would have a little doodle on the front that was like an inside joke or a shared experience and then a note inside. And, um, and as I gave those to people, uh, then people would come to me and say, could you make me a card for this person that I could give them this card? And I think ultimately it was like, they felt seen and loved, and so then they wanted this other person to feel that way, but they didn't know how to draw. And so, so I started like making these cards for other people to give to people. And really, they were just like, they were like really like glorified stick figures. They're just these little people interacting in some very specific way that meant something to someone else. And um, and and <laughs> as that grew, as I started making these little things for other people, all of a sudden. I was called an artist and it was super weird. Like I would be introduced as this is Emily. She's the artist. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and it was, it was really um, kind of a bizarre feeling. And this is something that I refer to as warm body syndrome. I think it happens a lot in small communities. So here at Hume, it's a small community. It's all hands on deck. And it's sort of like, if you are, um, you know, just, sort of decent at some skill, all of a sudden you become the thing. So like, you know, if someone finds you playing chopsticks on the piano, 
all of a sudden you'll be like directing the community choir because you're, you know, labeled a musician. And so, um, so anyways, I was like labeled the artist. And, um, and so I thought, okay, I guess I better figure out how to be an artist. <laughs> and I'm sure that there's like some unhealthy, you know, mental things that came with that. Where it's like, okay, I guess I'll try to shift myself into this this area, but it was actually, I'm super grateful for it because um, I just decided to start studying art and reading books and learning from really generous people who are willing to teach me and um, even taking some classes online. And um, so I'm grateful to be pushed in that direction because um, I, I, I'm finding things I didn't realize I was capable of that I've been able to learn how to do. Um, so I, I'm grateful for that. Um, but as you might guess, I had major imposter syndrome, um, because I was constantly comparing myself to others and, um, I didn't feel like an artist. I, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have the qualifications. I wasn't formally trained. Um, but that led me to a lot of, a lot of questions. Um, and some of those questions are what makes good art, especially as a Christian, how do I make good art? Um, and, you know, part of that in the process of making art, I would make a piece of art and I was really proud of that art in the moment. And then as I'd grow as an artist, I would look back on that art and think, oh my word, I can't believe I shared that on social media. It's terrible. <laughs> and then I would grow some more and look back on the art that I had made and think the same thing. And so then I thought like, if I'm always going to look back at my art and think that it's bad art, how in the world do we make good art without making bad art first? And so I really struggled with that. And um, I also really had this burden of like, how do I not make cliche art? I don't know if you feel the same way, but like when I hear the phrase Christian art, I kind of brace myself um, because, you know, what is that going to mean? And, and just to clarify, um, when I say cliche, I mean um, kind of predictable and not original and maybe even what's trending a little bit. I don't think that that's terrible, um, but how do, we, how do we make, you know, original things that are compelling for people? Um, and then also a big thing for me was how do I become a successful artist? And um, also to clarify success, to me, in that moment, as I was trying to figure this out, success to me meant um, people approving of my art and maybe gaining followers on Instagram. <laughs> and so, um, anyways, I want to be able to answer these questions, but I think a better way is reframing some of those questions um, to have better sort of the truth will set you free answers like Jesus does for us. And so a couple of years ago, I spent time in the Gospel of John, and um, I came to a section that I had read many times before, um, but this time I really slowed down um, because, as happens with Scripture, I'm sure this has happened to you before, we start to kind of like peel back the layers, and there's all these beautiful things that are revealed that we hadn't seen before. Um, so I'm going to be reading some of the scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Otherwise, I'll just read it here. But we're going to be looking at kind of the end of John 
chapter 3, and especially the beginning of John chapter 4. So, John 3, uh, 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Jordan countryside, where he spent time with them and baptized. John was also baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized, since John had not been thrown into prison. Then a, dis- a dispute between John's disciples and a Jew about purification came about. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and the one who is with you across the Jordan is baptizing, and everyone's going to him. And then John says some really powerful things, but we're going to skip to chapter 4, verse 1. When Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, and we're going to stop here mid-sentence, because when I read these verses, I thought, there really is nothing new under the sun. All of the disciples, John's and Jesus's, were concerned about the number of followers each one had. Doesn't this sound like the language of today? Um, My kids, they're 14 and almost 13, they don't have social media, but um, my son is like kind of into it. Like he just wants to know what I'm looking at on Instagram and things like that. And so when I show him an artist or a musician on Instagram, do you know what the first question is that he asks? How many followers do they have? Yeah, and um, he wants to know, because, and I'm guilty of this too, he wants to know the number of followers that they have um, because um, sometimes that can make us feel like uh, you know, large numbers are, are kind of what we feel like is successful. And, um, so anyways, you know, when I hear this in scripture of he has more followers, can't you do something about that? Mm-hmm. Um, this is like nothing new, you know, it had its beginnings long before social media. So then... Verse 3 comes along, and it nearly brings me to tears, not just because of what it means for me in the end, uh, but because of what it says about our beautiful Savior. So while everyone was arguing about the number of followers, what does verse 3 say? It says, he left. He left. So in my mind's eye, I have this visual of these dear men who I can relate with so well, and they're arguing loudly, And Jesus quietly gets up and leaves without a sound. But if that's not enough beauty that our Savior displays, where does he go on this walk? He leaves the crowds and the big numbers and all of the recognition and goes to a well to meet with one individual obscure outcast woman. And he engages with her in conversation. Also, when I read these adjectives, individual, obscure, and outcast, do you know what that makes me think of? Artists? (laughs) Do you ever feel that way? (laughs) So I want to be really careful here as I'm talking about Scripture because um, I realize that if this were being preached in, like, a congregation in a church, there's a lot here. Um... And so I don't want to just like kind of narrow this passage down to just don't worry about how big your sphere of influence is. 
Um, I know it goes much deeper than that, but I also don't want to gloss over the fact that this reveals a part of the heart of Jesus that I don't want to miss. Something that will compel us to go and do likewise in our everyday lives, including our art. His love and desire is not for gaining numbers for his own reputation and self-worth. His desire is to come alongside individual souls, to care for them and tend to them as the good shepherd that he is. And so this made me think about who I was really caring about. If success to me meant what other people thought about me and my work, then I think I can conclude that I mostly cared about me. Um, I think we, I think also we need to be careful with that because if the pendulum swings the other way, um, we can kind of go like, well, I don't care what anyone thinks about my art, it's my own art. And that also is kind of like a self inward focus. Um, and so what does Jesus do here when he goes to the well? He serves the soul. He cares more about his audience than how his, than how he is measured up by his audience. And I realized that my question of how can I be a successful artist was maybe just the wrong question. The question I should be asking is, how can I be faithful? How can I serve the audience before me? And by audience, I just mean the people that are going to see my work. And so now let's look at how Jesus came alongside this precious woman. Jesus is a master craftsman and a master wordsmith, so let's look at how he serves her. John 4, starting in verse 5. So he came to a, to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and come here to, get, to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she's answered. You have correctly said I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because the salvation is from, is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here 
When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, and he. Man. Those are powerful words. Talk about the shock factor. Jesus, in his tender mercy and love, is wooing this precious woman to himself by carefully unveiling the eyes of her heart, both about herself and himself. This unveiling process begins when he redirects her question. She asks, why are you asking me for a drink? And he responds, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. And so begins this discourse between them. And he begins taking down the walls of her heart in order for her to see his heart. The patient unveiling of her past wasn't to shame her. The unveiling of himself wasn't to belittle her. As her inner darkness was exposed, he covered her with his light. Over and over, she tried to shift the conversation to justify herself. But instead of evading the truth, she said the very thing that Jesus had been shepherding her towards the whole time. She said, I know the Messiah is coming and he'll explain everything to us. And then came the mic drop from Jesus. I who am speaking to you am he. But it was not an arrogant mic drop. It was the cupping of her face in his hands, waiting for her gaze to meet his. Hey, look at me. I'm the Messiah. The Messiah has come to you. What was left for her to say? Was there anything worth arguing about now? In this final sentence that Jesus spoke to her, the eyes of her heart were opened, were unveiled, and she left in wonder and awe and joy. She even left her water jar to go tell people about Jesus. What a day for that woman. She had a normal Monday task like doing the laundry or emptying the dishwasher. And when she mustered up, up enough energy and motivation to get it done, God was waiting for her there. He was waiting at the well to fill her up, but he filled her up with a truer thing. She had come for water that she needed to survive, but he gave her the water of life that she might live. It's true she still needed water from that well, she may have come back later to get her jar, or maybe Jesus brought it back to her. But ultimately, Jesus gave her the greater thing that she needed. And when she received it, she forgot about the other. That's what Jesus does. He makes true things truer. And that's what we want to do with our art. We want to make a true thing that ultimately reveals the truer thing. I've often wondered about what it is about Christian art that sometimes makes me feel a little bit cringy. And I, I don't want to pick on anyone here. And I, I actually think that there's kind of a, um, a little bit of a revival that's happening um, among Christians in art, which is really exciting. Um, but I do want to talk generally about some of the stuff that's come out maybe in like the last century um, that has been just uh, a little bit bad. <laughs> um, and as I paid a little more attention to some of the movies and songs that came out that kind of gave me that uncomfortable feeling, 
I realized that they kind of had one thing in common, and that, that's that it's kind of predictable. So I don't know if you've seen a like a Christian movie, and you start it, and as soon as it starts, you like know the whole script, like you know what's going to happen. Or um, a song, especially maybe on like a Christian radio station, um, where everything's kind of like neatly tied up in a bow, and everything is... It might start out with a difficult circumstance, but everything in the end is resolved, both in lyrics and chords. (laughs) And you're like, oh, okay, everything's better. Um, But when I think of the story of the gospel, it's not like any of these things. The gospel of Jesus is the most riveting, unexpected, shocking story I've ever read, and it's true. (laughs) Written by the God of the universe, and played out in reality. If the gospel is what compels us to make art, then our art should reflect the wonder of the gospel. Good art should make us stop in our tracks and stare. But the staring shouldn't end with the art. Good art, compelled by the gospel, shifts our eyes and hearts and minds to something truer. It reveals something that we have to grapple with. Jonathan Rogers, who's a favorite author of mine, said, there's a kind of art that gives people what they already think they want, and that's not going to set anybody free. And then there's the kind of art that says, you didn't know you wanted this, but here's what you need. And Andrew Peterson said about speaking about art, he said, the gospel doesn't need our help. It doesn't need us to make it more beautiful. Even C.S. Lewis with his Narnia books, he didn't make the gospel more beautiful. He reframed some things to surprise us with the actual beauty of the actual gospel. So, how have you been specifically impacted by the gospel? There's the obvious truth that we've been saved from sin and death, which is massive, but what other ways has Jesus transformed you from glory to glory, even as he sanctifies you now? 2 Corinthians 3 says, um, yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is just a massive truth that I have to remind myself of daily, that God is transforming us from glory to glory to be just like the best person that we know. And I'm just in awe of that. And it's okay for us to look and say, God has made this change in my life. I'm growing in this area. Um, So how has Jesus lifted the veil for you in those small moments? Make some art to worship um, with thankfulness for that. Raise your Ebenezer. I think sometimes also there's a side of art, and this happens a lot in children's stories, where the only intention is to teach a lesson. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes with Christian art. Um, I think sometimes it's that's okay, but it's kind of a delicate dance um, because no one really likes to know it all, (laughs) you know? Um, But I think that there is a way to say that I've walked through this really hard Um, or joyful or even mundane moment. And um, I would love for you to experience that with me. Um, I think it it kind of shifts things from standing on a soapbox to sitting at a dinner table 
or a well and inviting people to join with you and um, serving them with a feast of good, thoughtful art. I think ultimately it's about being hospitable to our audience. And so that's really where my frame of mind took this massive shift. It, um, it went from, um, you know, how can my audience serve my self-worth to how can I faithfully and lovingly serve these souls who I come into contact with. And so as I was getting ready for this workshop and as I was literally coming to this final conclusion, I realized, ironically, that this is what I was doing all along with the doodles that I was making in the very beginning. I was making these little pieces of art um, that was, there was nothing in it that was for me. It was simply for the person that I was giving it to. And it's not art that's going to hang in the Louvre or in the Met, but most of the time they ended up hanging on someone's refrigerator <laughs> because it meant something to them and it reminded them that they're loved and seen and known. Um, it was to make them smile or come alongside them in their grief. And I didn't expect anything in return. Um, so whether you call yourself an artist or a doodler or whatever it might be, what will you create that will be an unveiling of the goodness and truth and beauty of Jesus? Um, I've talked to a few of you throughout the weekend. It's been so sweet. And um, so I've heard some of you paint, some of you do, do photography, some of you are not sure. And um, so I just thought maybe we could take some time to think about, um, I thought especially about because this dear woman at the well, um, she was just doing a mundane task, and, um, and that's where she met the Lord. And so I thought it'd be sweet to take some time to think about some of those just mundane things you've done where all of a sudden you're like, Jesus? And you, I, I have those times in the shower all the time. I'm like, whoa. Um, I actually, during um, COVID, what do we call that? Lockdown? Where you like, you have to stay in your houses. Um, I started this little thing called, uh, now I can't remember. What was it called? Simple. Today's Simple Gifts. And it was just moments throughout my day that um, were really kind of normal that ended up feeling kind of sacred to me. And I would just do a little doodle and watercolor it. So for instance, um, like I, I took a jog around the lake and I just thank the Lord for legs that work and for lungs that breathe. Um, or... My kids were playing creatively in the mud, and so I do a little doodle of that. Um, or the sink was full of dishes, and that meant we had food to eat that night. Um, and it just, it, it was a way for me to actively find gratitude in a time that was pretty dark, you know? Um, and so I just wanted to take a little bit of time. And if there is like this big moment in your life that um, would cause you to make art, then of course think about that. Um, but I also was thinking it would be pretty sweet to just think through, even just today or before you got here while you were packing, um, just take some time to think through that and um, to think about the presence of the Lord with you during those times. Um, so just for like, I don't know, a couple minutes, just jot some things down. What was it like to pack for you? Were you stressed? Um, did you end up getting packed? Did you make it here safe on time? 
Did you have conversations with the Lord on the way up here? So just take a couple minutes and just jot those things down, and then we'll move on from there. If you're still writing, feel free to keep writing. But um, I, um, I would love to encourage you through this weekend as you kind of, first of all, just to be on the lookout for these, these moments. But then to think of creative ways to express, whether it's gratitude or even a petition to the Lord, how can you creative exp- creatively express some of those things? So let's talk about, does anyone, can anyone share some of those experiences? Anyone? Oh, great. <laughs> yes. Okay. What do you mean? Okay, Me? You rephrase it, yeah. Rephrase what you were supposed to write down? No, what you just said. The first part? All of it? No, just like that last sentence. Oh, can anyone... Oh, I just want to hear what you wrote down. 
Yeah. Can anyone share what you wrote down? <clears throat> Thanks, Madeline. Um, as I was walking late to breakfast this morning, um, I saw the lake and the, the way that the fog was like just hovering and like kind of dancing over the water was mm. really special. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, interacting with my son and sometimes I'm just so tired by the end of the day and, and reading and stuff like that, but I always want to make sure I read and I pray. There's two moments that it felt like a very direct encouragement from Jesus, like, keep going, mm -hmm. keep doing this. It's it worked, whatever it is. It, one of them was, I was reading this little book, which is like a, a, a an illustration of Psalm 23, and it was mm -hmm. kind of broken down for in children's language, and it was really sweet. And, and my son, who was two, pointed at the shepherd, and he just said, God. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes, that that's it, that's him, you know, that's, like, that's the image in his head of this shepherd holding a sheep yeah. that's his image of god yes correct yeah <laughs> and then another time when i was praying and i always would pray like the gifts certain gifts of the spirit over him ever mm -hmm. since i was i knew i was pregnant which started up here i thought i was pregnant <laughs> oh wow yeah and uh he uh i would always pray for the gifts of goodness kindness self-control and peace and i was praying those over him i was kind of like sleepily doing it as mm -hmm. i'm putting this prayer because i'm I'm aching and I'm tired and, and I'm like goodness. I like I said, Jesus, give him the gifts of goodness. And then Michael looked up at me, up at me, and he said, kindness. Oh my I word! Said, yes, yes, <laughs> <laughs> kindness. And uh, I, again, it was like what those mundane, really tired moments. It felt like such a kind thing that not only was God answering my prayer, but He was letting me know. That, that he was answering my prayer, which he doesn't technically need to let me know that. Mm, but he yeah, did. it's a it sweet gift. Very lovely. Yeah. Does anyone else? It felt like yeah. I had a little bit of like just this like joyful, like just excitement, knowing that I was going to get to come up and do something that was just to put all of my focus on creativity in the realm of like the Christian lens. Mm, mm -hmm. And so just the mundane thing of getting my laundry done mm, mm -hmm. to pack to come up here. Mm -hmm. And it went from like mundane to magical mm. because I was packing and I was getting ready to go. And then we were in the car and just laughing and talking. And she pointed at me when she said that. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't <have> together. <laughs> And then this morning, like walking to breakfast and just the lake, and just it really did go from it all in joy but mundane to magical. Mm -hmm. And it just, I can see God in all of that. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I actually thought about canceling this weekend um, because we had a, a dog get very, very sick. Oh. He almost died. He oh. was in the ICU for a few days because of the medication reaction and um, these are my daughter's babies mm -hmm. they're, they're my grand dogs okay and it was it was a very stressful time because it was touch and go for a while we didn't know if he was going to make it and I had to miss out on part of another conference last week because of it and I was just getting to the point where I was going to have to decide like am I going to go or am I going to stay and all of a sudden he just miraculously got better Praise the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
Sure. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's amazing. I also want to ask, um, as we talk about just how art can um, sort of serve as like an unveiling, you know, as Eric talked about wonder, keeping our eyes open to wonder, has there been a piece of art or a song um, or even like, a, a, you know, performance that you've seen, and it does not have to be Christian, has there been something like that that has pointed you to Jesus and helped you to see something truer? I'll start with one. This last, these last couple weeks, as I've been preparing for the conference, um, <laughs> I was telling my mom is here in the back, and um, this, you know, the song that kept going through my head. It was definitely not from. It's not a Christian song, but it's Bob Marley's Three Little Birds. Do you guys know that song? Yeah, and I was like, okay, every little thing's going to be okay. And do you know what? I don't know that he necessarily wrote that from a do not be anxious about anything perspective, but it really like led me to Jesus because I was like, yeah, every, every little thing's going to be okay. Don't you worry about a thing. And I love that. I feel like God has, he uses songs, and it's not always Christian songs, yeah. but he does speak to me. And I, a lot of times I know it's from him because I haven't heard that song in years. Mm. Um, but also, uh, I had prayed, I, had, I told a couple people this last night at dinner, but um, I used to work at a bank, and I was just a teller, and... I enjoyed my customers, but I just I got so tired of just doing mundane things like mm-hmm. filling out their deposit mm-hmm. slips because they were too lazy to <laughs> guilty day after day and um, and I just I would just say God I need something more creative mm-hmm. to do I just could you please just give me something so anyway long story but he put me in. He just opened my eyes one day to a class that I could take at our, we had two kids in Christian college at the time. And I showed the brochure to my husband and I had looked for it a year and a half before, but all of a sudden I found it. And I went, oh my gosh, that's the one I was looking for. And it was in a magazine that, I took a, a bunch of magazines to a friend because they were looking for some creative things. And I really felt like God just said, Keep that one here. Mm. I thought, well, that's a funny impression. So anyway, I came home and I thought, I wonder what's in here. And I opened it and it was like, that's an ad I was looking for for the last year and I didn't know where it was. Anyway, it was a class on decorative wall finishing and I had to go to Seattle to take it and it was going to cost $1,800. And so I showed it to my husband and he said, well, what I want to know is why should the kids get all the money for college? <laughs> <laughs> so I went, Woo! Anyway, and my mom was from Seattle, so it was an excuse for her to go back and visit with family. And so she did that while I went to class for a week. I came home with 24 samples of fancy wall finishes, plasters, wow. and all kinds of things. I could do it for people, but Everybody else at class was getting tired because we went from early morning till late, uh, sometimes at night. And but I would come home, take a shower, and I was just so energized. Mm. So I knew, you know, this was something that you know was giving back to me as well as you know whatever. So I was driving to class the second or third day, and here I am thinking, what am I doing? Doing this? <laughs> this was crazy. And I heard that song. And this is where the song thing comes in. 
it was on the radio and it was that one by uh, from facing the giants it says uh, the giant laughs at me and says boy you'll never win you'll never win but the voice of truth says tells me a different story mm. the voice of truth says do not be afraid mm. the voice of truth says this is for my glory mm. and I just started bawling on the <laughs> because I thought really Mm. Something that I can love and enjoy doing so much to yeah. give you glory. Yeah. And so mm. now, after having done that that job for several years, I have all these stories of God showing mm. up and just His faithfulness. And when I didn't know what to do, <laughs> people would just leave for the day, and I thought, I don't know how to do this wall finish yeah. or whatever. Anyway, and He would just help me when mm. I just say, God, I don't know how to do this. You got to direct. Hmm. And um, it would take me back to like the the uh, tabernacle stories yes. of those yeah. guys. That, uh -huh. You know, God just put in them the knowledge <coughs> that needed to do all those things like that, and it brought honor to Him. And I just think how amazing and what a privilege. Yeah. You know, when God does that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thanks for letting me share. Yeah, yeah. Norm, do you have it? Are there any paintings in particular or pieces of art that has kind of revealed a truer thing to you? Well, everything does. I mean, mm -hmm. at a certain point, sometimes mm -hmm. it's just a job. Mm -hmm. You know, it might be a commission. Yeah. You know, you need some posters. Uh -huh. You know, uh, so, yeah, but when I painted Planaire, when I'm out outdoors and seeing and looking, and yeah. it's inspiration sometimes. Well, last year, a couple of guys uh, we decided to drive over to that big canyon in Arizona. Mm -hmm. that big one. <laughs> yeah, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> Even that word, wait. <laughs> I've never been there. And I, you know, it's bucket list. I got out of the car and walked over there, and I thought, I can't paint this. Mm -hmm. I can't paint this. And then I was, I was standing there for almost an hour, just kind of sketching and stopping and staring. Yeah. And wishing I could fly, wouldn't that be fun? Mm -hmm. Just jump off and fly. Because there was a crow that was thought I had food or something. He yeah. would sail up and land on my feet. And that was pretty fun. This lady gets out of the we were by the parking lot, she got out of the car, she ran up to the other thing, hold out her her phone, and went click, turned around, and got back in the car. Oh, yeah. Come back. <laughs> you poor thing, yeah. Stand here until the ants start climbing up your legs, because this is worth standing here for. Yeah. So finally, when I started to paint, I'm like crying. Mm -hmm. That was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. that's wonderful. I heard the sun's moving, and you're going, yeah. <laughs> stop. <laughs> the shadow was there, now it's over. And so I just gave up with this is good. I heard I heard someone say one time, nobody stands at the top of the Grand Canyon and thinks about how great they are. Kind of little tiny details of like the deers like shaking their their 
ears or kind of like, you know, shaking their foot off of, of water or something. It's quite amazing. But what's interesting about that story is a long time ago, I actually read the book that it's based off of. Oh. And like at the end, it was, it, first of all, watching the animation is amazing because it's like, wow, these guys are really doing a great job imitating something that God already made and then they had to go through this giant process and it took years for them to do it just to recreate an hour of what God has put mm. out there, mm -hmm. you know, and make it really beautiful and entertaining. And the other thing is is that that story itself, at the very end of it, you know, man burns down the forest, right? We all know this. Um, but then at the end of the book, the dad, the one with the big antlers, you know, good old Bambi, that guy, he shows Bambi that the man has actually, he shows him the body of the man, the man actually dies in the forest. And he says, you sit in this whole time, man has been such a big, you know, scary thing to them, but he says, look Bambi, um, this means that there is something bigger than man. Wow. Yeah, so the actual book yeah. is, is meant to be a spiritual journey. Um, wow. Felix Sultan wrote, wrote it in the 20s or something like Fascinating. that. Fascinating. But yeah, and it's another thing that feels weird. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. One of the things that I wrote down, um, I was actually talking with my roommate about this yesterday, is that I've often felt inferior like as an artist because I'm not somebody who has all these things I need to express um, when I paint or draw. It's usually something that like means something to somebody else. And I enjoy it more when I get to hear why it means something. You know, if I'm painting someone's like childhood home or whatever. And so I've always felt inferior, but as we're talking and as you're talking about this idea of like loving people through um, what you do that like, um, it is like, it's also a gift for me to mm -hmm. have that like responsive style because one of my favorite things that I painted was like um, our neighbors down the street moved away and they've lived there for like 30 years. Um, and so I labored over this painting in my home and I was like so desperate to finish it before they left so that they could take it with them to their new house. Um, and like what a gift it was for me. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, like I didn't invent anything. <laughs> like I didn't have to because it wasn't about that, but like yeah. I still reflect on how much I enjoyed like, painting that for them and how much I enjoyed loving them mm -hmm. and knowing that it meant something to them too, but that that wasn't, um, it doesn't, it, it's like a cool realization to see that like God has made us specifically like, I yeah. perspective. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because really, what you're painting for them is so much more than just a house. Yeah, yeah. But then when I hear the stories or I hear yes. like why it's important, I often like meditate on that a little bit, mm. like while I'm painting, thinking about those yes. things because that's where like I can see the difference. I can see like the soul of some walls and a roof, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing special about that, but you express it differently when you're thinking about those yeah. things, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, so that's great. I like hearing about them and then making that part of just that process. Yeah. And so I appreciate the realization that that's the way I love people. Yeah, you know? that's really cool. Yeah. Anyone else? Yes. I um, two things, a I lost my house uh, in the 2020 street fire, and when I got the news of it, <laughs> God gave me the song, It's Well With My Soul, and that's the first uh, thing in my mind, and uh, a lot of comfort. Um, now I've been uh, in a trader for a couple years, and I was doing my normal 
Facebook feed. <laughs> and this picture came on, and one of my favorite songs is uh, The Goodness of God. Mm -hmm. And there's a part in there where it says, He, he runs after us. Mm -hmm. Also, a scripture that's dear to my heart is to be the 99 mm -hmm. to find the one. And I know that I'm, you know, I'm the one. Mm -hmm. And so, this is a picture of a lamb uh, running toward you and painting, and it's kind of dark on the, the sides, and then in the blurred background is Jesus running after him. Mm -hmm. And this, this moment I saw that, it was a, really a spiritual moment of, um, this is this is me, and this is how much I love you. And so mm -hmm. I got to put it on my wall, and mm -hmm. it's been a, a real blessing. Plus, it covers a uh, receptacle that they put on the trailer <laughs> wall. <laughs> and yeah. the next right over it, and I get rid of the little cords. <laughs> Practical and purposeful. Yes. Buy my paintings. Cover your. Do you need marketing strategy? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyone else? Any questions? Comments? Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming. Um, yeah, I would encourage you just this weekend as you head out and see the beautiful things, um, to think about the truth of that, but then also what is the truer story. Um, as you see the lake and the beauty of the lake, it's beautiful, but what's the truer story about the water that Jesus gives us? It's the water of life. Um, and then just be asking God to unveil um, the eyes of our hearts to be able to see things. Um, in really wondrous ways. So thank you all for coming. Appreciate it.